The following audio is from St. Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St. Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. Our Bible reading today is from Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30 and verses 36 to 43. I'll give you a moment to find it in your Bible. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not grow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then what do you want us to do? Go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the wheat first and bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. And we continue at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered them, the one who sows the good seed is the king, is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. They are gathered and burned with fire, and so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello there. It's great to be with you um, and uh, joining with you in your home. Uh, I'm here in my home in Durham and it's good to be opening up God's word uh, with you. Shall we just start with a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by your spirit you continue to speak to us today. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to your voice to us this morning that we might encounter you afresh. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that things look differently. Things look different when you look at them from a different perspective. I was walking just over a week ago on the Isle of 
Arran and started my walk from just by Brodick Castle, a, a, a brooding redstone castle that, that kind of looms over you as you pass by. It, it makes quite a, a dominating impact. But from the top of Goat Fell, almost 900 metres up, and by the end I felt every metre, uh, it, it looks, this castle, just like a, a kind of tiny dot, really. Compared to the mountain, it, it's absolutely tiny. Perhaps you've done that thing where you've looked at your house on Google Earth or, or Google Maps and you've seen what it looks like from the sky. And it's very different to how it looks like when you've kind of put your key in the front door. A different perspective changes the way you view things. And if that's true of physical space, it's also true of time as well. You'll be aware that there's lots of effort at the moment to look forward to how things will be in the future after COVID-19. There's a, a widespread assumption that they'll need to be different to how they are now. One Christian blog has a series of articles entitled, We Can't Go Back To... But what if we did another exercise in the imagination and think about how our actions today might look like when viewed from a point in the future. In other words, how will 2020 be viewed in, say, 50 years' time? What will future generations think of the decisions we made? What stories will historians tell of how the UK and the world, for that matter, uh, tackled, uh, did and to tackle COVID-19? I remember towards the start of the pandemic, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak hinted at this approach when he promised on the 20th of March to do, as he said, whatever it takes to support jobs and the economy. This is what he said. He said, we want to look back on this time and remember how we thought first of others and acted with decency. In other words, he's trying to let a future perspective shape his current actions and decisions. He was imagining how the view from a point in the future might impact what we think and do today. It's not a very common approach, but it's one that I think can have quite an impact. So a different perspective in space and time changes the way you view things. And I think today's Bible reading is inviting us to do something similar. It's inviting us, I think, to look at the present from a very different perspective, that is, the future, with, I think, some really important results. You see, we're continuing our, our look today at some of Jesus' parables as we follow the lectionary, the, the reading pattern of the church. Last week, David Day got us thinking wonderfully about the parable of the seed and the sower, and today it's the parable traditionally called the wheat and the tares the wheat and the weeds, if you like. Now, it's tempting to think of parables as sort of modern day morality tales, but I, I tend to the view that they're an invitation to engage first and foremost our imagination. Jesus told stories that got under your skin and in your heart and mind, encouraging you to think about the uh, message and imagine what it might be for you. This, this wasn't soundbite teaching or teaching by Twitter. It, it was rather a story, I think, that got you seeing things differently. And I want to suggest that today's parable is an invitation to look at the present from the perspective of the future and think about life today in the light of eternal realities. 
So what I'm going to do is just kind of introduce and explore the parable as it stands and then suggest kind of three points for us to apply to our lives and our world today. Now, parables come in all shapes and sizes, some with lots of detail painted in, others with just a, a few lines sketched out. Uh, this parable in, in Matthew 13 has a number of interesting characters in it. You, you have the farmer who sows the seed, you've got the enemy who comes in at night and sows weeds, you can imagine the evil chuckle. You've got the servants who are confused by the weeds among the wheat, and then you've got the future harvesters who will do the dividing of the wheat and the weeds. And with all these different characters, you could read this parable in a, a whole range of ways, looking at the role of the enemy or the anxiety of the servants. But this is one of those rare parables where we're actually given an account of Jesus's explanation of it in private to his disciples. So we don't have to speculate about where Jesus sees the thrust of the story being. And what's interesting in Jesus's explanation of the parable in verses 37 to 43 is what Jesus doesn't focus on. He alludes to the role of the devil, but he doesn't explore it. The servants, they don't get a look in at all. Jesus's thrust is all about the harvest, which he says is the end of the age. The detail is all about how the Son of Man, that favourite term that Jesus used for himself, will judge the world, separating good from evil and bringing in the kingdom of heaven. This is just one of a, a number of times where Jesus speaks about what we call the last judgment, when, as we say in the creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But this is perhaps one of the most evocative illustrations that we have. So fundamentally, this parable, as Jesus interprets it for us, is about the future. And it invites the attentive listener, the one who has ears to hear, to look at their present in the light of this future. And as we do so, I just want to suggest three points of application for us in the present, affected by this future view. First, in reading this parable, we're invited to recognise that the final judgment is God's and not ours. The final judgment is God's and not ours. Now, it, it didn't take the COVID-19 pandemic to reveal a world that is both beautiful and broken, where there is good and evil, where joy and suffering are mixed together. But as we see those communities who have least affected most by the virus, as we process the pain of personal and global suffering, we recognise afresh the reality of sin, which leads to injustice and inequality, to illness and death. And this parable invites us to recognise that good will sit alongside evil until the final judgment of God, when they will be separated. The weeds and the wheat will finally be seen for what they are, but that judgment will be God's and not ours. Let me just add two little comments to that point. One is that that does not mean this final judgment of God, that does not mean that we do nothing in the meantime because we can all kind of leave it up to God. 
The teaching of Jesus elsewhere, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, is clear that we should challenge injustice and inequality, fight against sin and its impact in the world. That means in the courts as wrongs and wrongdoers are held to account. It means on the streets and in our communities as we fight for racial equality and climate justice. But we do recognise that it will be God's judgment in the future, not ours in the present, that will be the lasting resolution. And, and just second, I think the reality of God's future final judgment should make us wary of making final judgments ourselves. There's something in our social media culture today where people see it as the place to separate the wheat from the tares. You may be aware of something called cancel culture, whereby individuals' social media postings are trawled for anything that falls short of acceptable views today. And if anything is found that fails the test, that person is held up to public judgment and consigned to the tares. Giles Fraser, uh, he links this trend to the absence of a belief in what this parable points to, namely the final judgment of God. This is what he wrote in a recent article, and I'm just going to quote a few paragraphs. He says, the problem is that under Christian culture, we used to believe that wrongdoers would get their ultimate comeuppance when they face the divine after death. From such a perspective, the final administration of justice would be carried out by the ultimate righteous judge who knows all the secrets of our hearts. But this God is now dead in popular culture, Fraser continues. And so the consequences of our moral failings have to be reckoned with in this life. Otherwise, we'd get away with them without any sort of censure. In other words, the God that would judge us all with fairness and kindness has been replaced by the high court of the digital trial. And what sentence has been passed, there's no coming back ever. That is what it is to be cancelled. I think in contrast to what Giles Fraser so accurately describes, this parable invites us to be provisional in any judgment we make on anybody else. It is not our job to separate the wheat from the tares. God, who has more knowledge and mercy than any of us, will do that. The final judgment is God's and not ours. Perhaps next time we write that judging tweet or in our hearts write off someone else, we might remember just that. So first, this parable invites us to recognise that the final judgment is God's and not ours. Second, in reading this parable, we're invited to hope in God's restored future. We're invited to hope in God's restored future. The promise in verse 41 is that the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom anything, sorry, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. There's no great detail here, but the picture is of a renewed kingdom where all the stuff that causes pain and suffering will be dealt with. If you'll grant me a gardening illustration here, it makes me think of a house I lodged in when I was in my early 20s and the elderly la lady who owned the house was a keen gardener. But one of her beds down the side of the garden was completely bare when I moved in. There wasn't a, a plant in it. 
And she'd explained to me that it had suffered from ground elder, which you may know is an aggressive weed which grows at an extraordinary rate and has a root system that's incredibly hard to tackle. The only way of dealing with it is to dig up the whole bed, remove every sign of the ground elder weed and start again. You're removing the ground elder for good. And I think that's a picture of what Jesus is sketching out here, a kingdom of heaven where there is simply no sin or evil. It's a picture more fully painted in the final chapters of the Bible where in Revelation 21 we read of a new creation where sin and death are no more, where tears are wiped away. That is God's restored future. You'll have to forgive me for the plug, but in the latest episode of Talking Theology, the podcast I hope, um, Sam Tranter, who's the newest member of staff at Cranmer Hall where I teach, uh, talked uh, about how a theology of hope helps us live well today. And he, and he rightly kind of highlighted the risk of forgetting this world because we're so busy hoping for pie in the sky when we die. But he draws attention to exactly the hope that this parable points to, namely a restored creation where sin and pain are no more and where the children of God can see their father, as this parable so beautifully puts it, can see their father face to face. If there's one narrative that COVID-19 has challenged, it's the narrative that life is simply getting better and better, what you might call the human improvement narrative. Now I pray for the Lord to have his healing hand upon our world, but the world without sin and death is not 2021. It's in God's restored future. This parable invites us therefore to recognise that the final judgment is God's, not ours. It invites us to hope in God's restored future. Third, in reading this parable, we're invited to trust in the one who holds the keys. We're invited to trust in the one who holds the keys. Because I think that second application, that picture of God's restored future, begs a rather vital question. What gives us the confidence that we are the righteous ones who will avoid eternal death and instead shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father? I mean, it, it's natural that we consider ourselves the goodies rather than the baddies. Those are those other kind of bad people over there. But does that view really stand up to scrutiny? If I'm honest, my heart is rather like that field in the parable pre-harvest with some good stuff going on but some stuff that is much less good. As the great Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn puts it, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. That's certainly true of my human heart where good and sin sometimes coexist. There are times when I fear the fate of the weeds rather than that of the wheat. Now, Jesus doesn't answer that question in the parable directly. Parables kind of aren't like that. But the hint is there, and that is in the person who is in charge of the final judgment, namely the Son of Man, Jesus himself. You see, Jesus in his teaching and his healing ministry taught and enacted the deepest human need which was for forgiveness. 
he told the paralyzed man on the mat, your sins are forgiven. He said, as he said, as he held the cup at the Last Supper, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. From every corner of the New Testament, we hear the same message. We are righteous, right with God, not through being good, but through being forgiven. And the one who makes that forgiveness possible is the one who shed his blood on the cross and who will also preside over the final judgment, Jesus Christ himself. So our task, if you like, is to trust in him as the one who holds the keys to a restored future and to a restored present. Our hope in the future is not a moral checklist with everything ticked off, but with a bill that says, paid in full. We're invited to trust in Jesus to bring us through judgment into his restored future. We will never be good enough. He will be. Let me quote from that article from Giles Fraser again, because he says this, he says, the new highly secular cancel culture represents an extreme form of righteousness that has all the moral power of a certain kind of Protestant Christianity, but none of the basic scaffolding of redemption on which such Christianity is built. A morality without forgiveness or redemption is a frightening, persecutory business. What is really good news about the Christian faith for you and for me and for our world is that there is forgiveness and there is redemption and there is hope. All of which means we can face the past, the present and the future, not with fear of judgment, but hope of relationship with the God who made us, loves us and gave himself for us. As I said earlier, things look very different when viewed from a different perspective. I, I think this parable has invited us to look at our present from the perspective of the future. So as we do so, as we let this picture grasp our hearts and minds, can I suggest that in our imaginations we take up our position at the foot of the cross of Christ and look in three ways. First, let us look around in humility. Look around at others in humility, conscious that the final judgment is God's and not ours. Secondly, let us look forward in hope to God's restored future, which can give us hope and energy for the present. And third, let us look up in thankfulness to the one who, before he judged the world, took judgment on himself, that we might be forgiven and called righteous by God. As we've, in our imaginations, looked at the present from the perspective of the future, let us, in this present, look around in humility forward in hope and up in thankfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. 
If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.